Uh, I, think that, I think that's another code blue. <laughs> code yellow. Oh, code yellow. Um, <laughs> it's it's Lift, amazing how many codes go off during our, our podcast. Lifts are down. In this hospital is always... <laughs> <laughs> Buckets are out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, she's just had an anaesthetic, so malignant hypothermia. Yes. Or Everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Um, what's been happening, Graham? Oh, thanks for inviting me back, yep. Rog. Um, <laughs> you're not an, well. You're almost not an invitee. Yeah, so, I might, if my daughter's listening, she's told me that I'm that apparently Graham is not a guest anymore. He comes on so often; he's actually part of the podcast. And he needs his own web page. So, I'll see if I can address that. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, so, what's been happening? Well, we've had Father's Day. Good opportunity for the uh, old Father's Day dad's joke. Oh, I haven't got any though. Did you? Uh, so, why did the uh, chicken cross the playground? <laughs> I don't know. Let's get to the other slide. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Keep it clean. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I was at the um, post office yesterday and there was a, a group of feminists protesting outside. Yeah, they apparently they're not very happy because it's quite a male dominated industry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, oh. <laughs> enough of that. Please, everyone's saying please stop. <laughs> um, so, other news is tell, tell us about the uh, so the recording. This uh, what's the date today? Fourteenth September. What's the big news on your the calendar? Big news on my calendar is I have got tickets to the AFL Grand Final. It's uh, an event I <coughs> never expected I'd ever be able to attend. Not in it, Perth, anyway. Not in Perth, but yeah. uh, it is in Perth this year, and uh, I have to say thanks to Mick. For um, support. so help Mick. me, Mick. <laughs> it's a real Australian. <laughs> He's a demon supporter. Okay. As a non-Australian, what I'm supposed to say is something inappropriate, like "Oh, what time's kick off?" <laughs> they bounce the ball. <laughs> That's right. I know. I know. I'm just trying to rub you up the wrong yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else is happening? So yeah, we're, um, Australia's in the middle of a pandemic, and uh, Western Australia's not. But mm. we're all getting vaccinated, aren't we? And, mm. um, I think they've just thrown open their vaccinations for children, so I've just booked my two uh, teenage kids in for vaccinations later on in the next two weeks. Yeah, my 17-year-old will have a second immunisation tomorrow. All right. Oh, well, she's 12 to 16 that just opened. Yeah, 12 to 16 have opened this week, I believe. Mm. It's hard to keep uh, track of it. Uh, My middle daughter last night asked me which immunisation should she get. Should she get Moderna? Well, what I read about Moderna today was it's very effective against Delta, so... Oh, I think they're all good. Mm. Yep. Um, I listened to the, what's it called? The Coronacast um, podcast, which is through the ABC with Norman Swan. Okay. And I think he says that, you know, the best, um, the best um, COVID vaccine for you is the one that's available. Yes. That <laughs> makes sense. I think uh, they're all probably about the same, aren't they? Mm. And um, <clears throat> and the other the other news is that we're, uh, we're pe- you know, st- Colleagues at this hospital are all involved in, um, then over the next sort of six to twelve months, all these working groups to design a new hospital for, for women in Perth, which is going to be relocated sometime in the next ten years. Supposedly less than that, but 
that's probably a realistic time frame. Yeah, I think at least seven years. Yep. <clears throat> probably close to ten. Yeah, I'm sure by the time they cut the ribbon, it'll be um, a long time away. But all, all the planning is supposed to occur very over a very short space of time. So watch this space. Mm, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done. Yes. Uh, but I think a lot of thought's gone into it already uh, from yep. an engineering building point of view. Yep. Yeah, I think we're right. looking forward to a, a new building, bigger bigger doorways, <laughs> yeah. doors that fit the beds. <laughs> We've got bigger as the patients no. have got bigger. No buckets in the corridor when it rains. Exactly. No need for mops. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to kick off with a hypothetical case, which is sort of based on lots of cases that I've seen over the years. So pretend for a moment, Graham, that you're the DA, which is um, probably something you don't need to think pretend too hard about because you're the DA quite a lot. I just turn yeah. up and be scared. <laughs> There's a 27... You get phoned and asked to come and review a 27-year-old woman on the ward who had a laparoscopy earlier in the day for investigation of chronic pelvic pain. So that sounds exactly like two of my patients from this morning. Um, <clears throat> the nurse tells you that she's agitated and restless She's got a history of substance abuse disorder and, and chronic pelvic pain. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. So you go and see her and she is agitated, restless and sweaty. Uh, and you look at her obs and her temperature is 37.9. She's a bit tachycardic, 115. Blood pressure is 170 over 105. Uh, what else can I tell you? She's been... She normally takes um, desvenlafaxine. That's one of the... That's a, Antidepressant, isn't it? Yes. And she takes some slow-release tramadol. She likes to use amphetamines on and off. <clears throat> and they've been plying her with lots of analgesics, including more tramadol on the ward. Uh, and when you examine her, she's got... Oh, wait, you know, I'm going to actually stop. What, what sort of things do you want to examine? Uh, right, well, um, first I want to have a, a, take a history as to what substance, other substances she's been using recently. I want to get an idea of how um, comfortable she is at the moment <coughs> yep. and to see if there's anything else that's causing her distress. And from there, I do want to examine her cardiorespiratory system. I do want to examine her abdomen and I should examine her um, neurological system, including <coughs> a kind of assessment of her um, clarity of thought at the moment. Yeah, that's good. And uh, that's... That's a much uh, better approach than, than me, uh, or than, than my case history was going to be, because the truth is that um, you've got to have a broad differential for some of these patients, don't you? Mm. Like, basically, you've got an agitated patient who's febrile and has got signs of sort of sympathetic overactivity, and uh, there's a whole heap of really important things that could be... Um, I've okay. got a whole list here. Yeah. Do you want to rattle a few off? Absolutely. So I'm, wor- I'm, I'm worried about uh, you know, pain... Yep. But I'm also worried about uh, withdrawal from drugs. Yeah, definitely. I'm concerned that she might have infection. Yep. Um, and uh, then some other reactions to medications. Uh, and then there could be some other less common but um, potentially life-threatening problems, you know, thyrotoxicosis, chromosotoma, those kinds of um, yeah, definitely. conditions yep. can cause these um, array of symptoms. Um, so I've got a whole list of things that you should keep in mind. Yeah, so infections, obviously, when you want febrile and, and unwell, and that can. And um, I think one of the classic things that can sort of um, mimic these um, drug-related uh, problems is encephalitis or meningitis. Yes, because uh, they often these patients often become a bit altered, a bit confused, and uh, agitated. 
Um, and you've mentioned the thyrotoxosis and pheos, any sort of sepsis really. There's a whole list of weird things, including things like porphyrias and... Um, uh, I, think that, I think that's another code blue. <laughs> code yellow. Oh, code yellow. Um, <laughs> it's it's amazing how many codes go off during our, po- our podcast. Lifts are down. And this hospital is always... <laughs> <laughs> Buckets are out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, she's just had an anaesthetic, so malignant hypothermia. Yes. Or hyperpyrexia. Mm-hmm. So I guess that could, could be in the differential. We don't know what she's been uh, exposed to. Uh, neuroleptic malignant syndrome. Um, those are all sort of things that jump to mind. Um, so, but <clears throat> this, this story sort of... Uh, points to the fact that she's taking quite a lot of serotonergic drugs and the classic sort of features on the um, examination it also would be um, if you saw lots of hyperreflexia and clonus that sort of um, also points towards serotonergic symptoms I'm just going to read out the, um, the sort of diagnostic criteria that's used for the syndrome based on the hunter they call the hunter criteria I think because it comes from the hunter um, hospital in Newcastle, New South Wales? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, so they talk about spontaneous... If, any, if a patient has taken a serotonergic agent and has one of the following, um, they meet the criteria for um, serotonin syndrome. It's supposed to be 84% sensitive and 97% specific. And this is... An, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to these two articles on um, on serotonin syndrome. Uh, and you can people can read that if they want. So spontaneous clonus, inducible clonus and agitation or diaphoresis, so sweating. Uh, ocular clonus and agitation or diaphoresis, tremor, hyperreflexia, hypotonia and temperature above 38. So she didn't have temperature over 38, but that's only because I forgot to make it over 38. I should have. But that's temperature that's above 38 degrees and ocular clonus and or inducible clonus. That's right, clonus. and clonus, yeah. Mm. Okay. So I need to redo my... Hypothetical patient. <laughs> You're allowed to fit all the books when it's made up. 38.1 degrees. 38.1. Yeah, while we've been talking, your temperature's gone up. Of course. Uh, yeah. Um, so. Ocular guess, clonus is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I tried to YouTube it. Um, I found it. It looks a bit like nystagmus, so it's actually quite. It's, it's the eye uh, movement is in opposite directions at, at the same kind of velocity. Right. As okay. opposed to having a fast and a slow phase yep. with respect to the eye movements <coughs> um, away from the midline. Hmm. You can see it. Uh, you look up uh, ocular clonus and YouTube. Yep. I guess that. So the key thing really for this is um, just knowing which drugs are serotonergic, and then uh, you know, the, and then examining the patient carefully and just sort of mm. ticking these things off. So, what's what are the common drugs that we know of that can uh, that can c- contribute to serotonin syndrome? Yeah. So they're in and how do they how do they in uh, increase serotonin levels in the brain, central nervous system. So, are there any drugs that increase serotonin uh, formation, release yep. in the central nervous system, or block its reuptake in the central nervous system? Yep, exactly. Or block its metabolism? Yep. Or increase serotonin release? Yeah. And I've already of, said that. So and lots of them are twice. common. Uh, they're getting yeah. more common nowadays, oh, aren't they? V- m- uh, far more common because the um, new antidepressant-type medications are aimed to try to decrease the incidence of serotonin syndrome, but the medications still can cause it, yeah. as far as I can tell from my reading. Yeah, so can, yeah that, that's what I've seen as well. And mm. there's quite a few drugs that you want to encounter if you come into hospital, especially if you're a perioperative patient having surgery and 
anesthesia and then give them, being given analgesics, yes. which are known to, to, to also trigger this. And I think it's the combination of, serotonin, of different types of serotonergic medications that are often the most common reason why people get into trouble. Although you can, I have seen um, some people with serotonergic syndrome from one medication. Uh, you know, I've seen people when, when I used to work in ED who, who were just taking one medication, and uh, like an SSRI, like Proxtene, and they came in with you know, features of, of serotonergic syndrome. So some people are just more sensitive, aren't they? Mm. All right, so we rattle, rattle them off. Rattle them off uh, in no particular order. So, um, well, if you take a lot of tryptophan, you can get it. Yep. Um, is that something that bodybuilders use? Or something? Yeah, it is, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then some other um, medi- um, non-prescribed medicines, cocaine, ecstasy, amphetamines, yep. alcohol. Sometimes they're prescribed. One of my patients today was on one of those, on dexamphetamine. Yep. Fair enough. Um, and then some dopamine agonists. So that's things like... Uh, levodopa. Levodopa. <laughs> well, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It probably could cause it. Yeah. Um, Amantadine. Yep. Uh, drugs that decrease serotonin uptake, like selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Yep. Such so as fluoroxetine, like, baroxetine. Yeah, Prozac and... Um, citalopram, escitalopram. Yeah. Venlafaxine, desvenlafaxine. Yep. Yep. Tricyclic antidepressants, which are not used as commonly for <clears throat> depression, but they use it quite commonly for um, chronic pain. Yeah, and also issues like um, urinary frequency. Yeah. Mm. Um, SNRIs. Yep. And then uh, medicine we use not uncommonly in obstetric anesthesia and analgesia, pethidine. Yep, pethidine and tramadol. We don't use it as much as we used to. No. Anecdote, I have seen someone with the, for those people who are listening who remember the pethidine PCEAs that we used to use after caesareans, still used in some hospitals and still sometimes used here. I definitely remember getting called as a DA to see someone who was like, couldn't hold still and was restless and really sort of quite distressed and she'd gone through two syringes of the go medical pethidine pca overnight so i just took it off her and we gave her some stuff to calm her down and change and just gave her some epidural morphine and you know five or six hours later she was back to normal yes I so think i'm I've sure s- that's what it was yeah i think i've seen a number of people um using <coughs> pethidine pca who have described it's the norpethidine isn't it which is the metabolite yes that seems to cause this yeah yeah Okay, code yellow, stand by, everyone. Buckets and... <laughs> Our listeners are happy. Buckets and lift buttons. buttons. Yeah. Um, other medicines, there's some non um, over-the-counter medicines like St. John's Wort. Yep. Um, sometimes used to improve people's moods. Uh, monoamine oxidase inhibitors. Yep. Uh, monoamine oxidase is the enzyme which breaks down serotonin. Yep, and some other monoamines too as well, isn't it? Yes. I can't remember. They're, they're not used that often anymore, are they? But they some, in some situations they come back into vogue, aren't they? But yeah. they're quite dangerous, those medications. The clobamide. Yeah, what do they use it for now? Phenylzine. I can't Again, remember. it's for... Refra- it's a psychiatric... It's kind of for refractory drug, yeah, yeah. depression, yeah. not responsive to other medications. Um, ergot alkaloids. Okay, yeah, so people who have migraine... Um, uh, syndromes or my, uh, chronic migraine problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, lithium. Yep. Yeah. So there's a whole heap of drugs, yeah. uh, medications that can cause it, aren't there? And even um, an anti-emetic um, we use on dancitron, granizatron. Yep. May also um, interact with other drugs to cause the syndrome. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <coughs> the syndrome's got uh, three features, as far as I can remember. Yep. 
I remember a mnemonic, MAD, which is different to the mnemonic that I've read in the paper yep. um, that I've used in preparation, and the MAD stands for neuromuscular or um, changes in Yep, so that's tone. like the tremor and clonus and things. Exactly, yep. A for autonomic dysfunction, that's the tachycardia, the hypertension. Yep, sweating. Sweating, yep. fever potentially. Yep. And then the... the um, D. D is for delirium. <laughs> <laughs> I became delirious. Deranged. I was Deranged. going to guess. Delirium, yeah. Yeah. And that's because the serotonin is mucking up their thinking, I suppose. Clarity of thought. Yeah. yeah this paper uses the um, mnemonic CAN. CAN. Yeah, mm. I like MAD better. Yeah, me too. What's CAN? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Who knows? CAN I remember. C stands for changes in conscious state or conscious state. Changes? Yeah, you could say changes in anything. Yeah, <laughs> Autonomic dysfunction <laughs> and n- for neuromuscular changes. If anyone who's, who wrote this uh, paper is listening, I apologise, but I don't like your acronym. <laughs> I like MAD better. Um, anyway, so basically, uh, yeah, so you're getting, too, you're getting over, overactivation of the serotonergic systems in the nervous system and... I have seen case reports of people who have like overdosed on ecstasy at um, com- uh, concerts and things, and, and it even affects the hematologic system and things like that as well. And platelet function, they get coagulopathic and all, all sorts of crazy stuff. But I think that's like massive overdose scenario. Um, and some of those patients end up, you know, possibly even dying, or they definitely end up on ventilators in ICU because their temperature is like forty-five and. Uh, they bleed, they get coagulopathic and bleed everywhere, and it's like that's probably the extreme end of the syndrome. Mm. Um, rhabdomyolysis. Rhabdomyolysis, yeah, mm. that's the, usually the sort of kidney dysfunction. Yeah, organ failure. Mm. Uh, so, what's the treatments? So, the treatment is to withdraw the um, agent that's responsible yep. for the problem. Uh, and there are some antidotes, potentially. Yep. There's one called periactin or um, cyproheptidine. Yep. Which is a serotonin antagonist. Yes, yeah, supportive care. You could try antidotes. It's basically like treat treat whatever's going on. So treat the fever, the autonomic dysfunction, if they you know, if they need if, uh, if their CNS arrangements um, bad enough and they need um, airway protection and intubation and cooling, um, treat the rhabdomyolysis, support the kidneys, <coughs> try the antidotes, what else? Um, benzodiazepines. Yeah. If so sedation, obviously. So yes. some, something to turn their brain, their brain's overactive, turn it down a bit. Airway protection, muscle relaxation. Yeah. Yep. Um, cooling. Probably like uh, like the Boy Scouts. Uh, not the Boy Scouts. No, Boy Scouts is being prepared, but like um, I'm trying to think of another. Just avoiding it in the first place, I guess, is a use is probably even better, isn't it? Mm. Like it's much easier to not get into trouble in the first place. So just being aware that it exists and when you're prescribing medications, sort of looking at what they're already on and thinking about it. I know that we still do tr- prescribe tramadol to people who take um, antidepressants, and some people would say that's why are you doing that. But we have some patients who have you know sleep apnea and things like that, and we really don't want to get give them a respiratory depression with strong opioids, and so. As long as you're aware of what you're doing and what you're trying to avoid and being aware of what you should avoid, you know, the first signs of any serotonergic overactivity, you can uh, cross it off or nip it in the bud, then it's an important thing to be aware of. So I guess it's important for, like, um, anyone who's looking after patients, uh, you know, nurses, junior doctors, 
<clears throat> especially anaesthetists and people who run the pain service, you know, very sort of have their uh, radar out looking for patients who are developing this early signs of this um, problem and nipping it in the bud before it becomes a full-blown sort of crisis. Yeah, I think uh, that, that's the advice I got from a, yeah. a, a, a senior pain specialist a long time ago. Yeah. But they haven't seen it a lot of times. However, be mindful of it. Every yeah, time right. you prescribe a medicine like tramadol to someone who's already on a drug that's going to increase the serotonin levels. Yeah, we definitely had someone a few mm. weeks ago. I know one of our colleagues who's a pain specialist here stopped her, um, uh, yeah, stopped her tramadol, and she definitely had strong sort of um, features of pr- probable early signs of this developing. So, yes. yeah, you, nipping it in the bud before it becomes a full blown problem is, is the way to go. All right. Uh, that was good. I've lost my sheet of paper. Here it is. <laughs> You're so well organised. I haven't got any more jokes. Honestly. Everyone's going, thank God. Um, okay, so case two. This is also made up, but I have seen, we'll talk about some anecdotes of real cases in, the, in a minute. 31 year old woman who is day three postpartum. She has had a baby recently, but she's got a long term history of schizophrenia and mental health problems, and she's actually been, uh, yeah, she had her baby delivered be, uh, because she had a deterioration in her mental health and developed psychosis, so she's got postpartum psychosis. She's been on the, um, uh, the, the psychiatric inpatient ward over the weekend and, uh, and been treated with um, some long, long-acting antipsychotic medications. But over the weekend, the junior staff there were get, having to give her more um, sort of pair in or extra doses of antipsychotics because she was becoming a bit more agitated and difficult over the weekend. Um, but now they've, <coughs> she's sort of deteriorated this morning. She's now sort of had a decrease in her level of consciousness and she's not talking and they're really worried about it and you've been asked to go and review her as well as part of sort of a medical emergency response team. And she has a tachycardia. She looks sweaty she has quite a high fever, 40.5 degrees Celsius. She's also um, hypertensive, say 160 over 95. And she has some neuromuscular sort of, uh, she just seems abnormal, sort of a bit like rigid. She's like really stiff in the bed and she's not really talking. Mm. What are you thinking? Oh, this sounds very bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Again, there's a broad differential <clears throat> for this um, woman's yeah, condition. Good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, first thing that I think of is could this be infection? Yeah, because that could easily be like someone with um, meningitis. Absolutely. She might have had a needle in her back mm. um, three days ago, and yes. now she has a serious central nervous system infection. Mm. Um, so that's definitely on you, on, you know, like I've, I've, I've thinking back, I've, I've definitely, when I was a junior doctor, looked after women, uh, women and men with um, Neisseria meningitis, and they presented just like that. Yes. And and because she's postpartum, uh, I'm always looking for preeclampsia, so it could be yep. preeclampsia plus yep. in, infection, I think, uh, yep. would not be unreasonable. Uh, and if she looks as uptunded as she is, the infection could be anywhere. It could be aspiration. That's right. It could be yep. um, um, intra uh, uterine. Uh, so she needs to be. Um, well, if you can't get much of a history, she needs to be thoroughly examined for yep. um, any obvious or um, 
potential site of infection. Yep, that's good. Um, okay, so it's good. So don't forget about infection. And probably should just, you know, assume that do all the tests that you would need to do, like including imaging and lumbar punctures and blood cultures and broad spectrum antibiotics. Let's just assume yeah. that all that's normal. Yeah. What other things could it be? Oh, I mean, it could be a, a drug reaction. Yep. Um, but uh, I'm thinking that because that's what's suspicious because that's the that's podcast we've been talking about <laughs> and the and the particular <laughs> drug reaction. It's probably not malignant hypothermia, but it could well be neurolept or neuroleptic malignant syndrome. Yep. Um, which is a condition that occurs when uh, you know, dopamine receptors, or sorry, your dopamine receptors are antagonised, yep. or decreased dopamine exists within uh, a patient, uh, precipitating the problem. Yep. This uh, is even more um, probably rarer than the serotonin syndrome, isn't it? Mm. But, but it is something else to, th- to be aware of. Um, and that is uh, what I was trying to paint a picture of. Is, um, there any, is there anything else in, in your differential that you think of with no, this I patient? No, I think um, just and just all the other sort of endocrine things you mentioned in the first case, you know, with thyroid toxicosis yes. and COs and porphyrias and um, drugs, you know, so it could be, um, you know, methamphetamines or serot- It could still be, even though I've said she's rigid, not, not um, hyperreflexic, you know, it still could be serotonin as well. Syndrome, but, yes. Uh, you know those sorts of disorders. Mm. Yeah, any sort of it could be a, dr- a drug, another drug toxicity yeah. syndrome. Toxidrome. Toxidrome. That's what I was nice. thinking of. Yeah. Um, so I think even though we're trying to sort of talk about, I just using this case to, so we can discuss neuroleptic malignant syndrome. Truth is, it's pretty rare, and those other things are probably less rare. So I think in real life, if you saw someone like that, you should be probably exactly like you mentioned, Graham, thinking more of a serious um, infections and things so don't go down a rabbit hole and suddenly diagnose a unicorn mm. straight up it, 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 of, it often ends down the bottom of a differential doesn't it yeah yeah, yeah. but having said that we mm. should, uh, we're just trying to raise awareness of these um, unusual drug toxidromes so that people remember them mm. um, so I, I mean I had a patient when I was an intern was an intern yeah I was an intern so a first year doctor um, who kept coming into hospital under the, our general medical team back when I was working in Christchurch back in NZ. And uh, <clears throat> he'd been in a number of times over the last few months and they'd, and uh, the psychiatrist didn't didn't have admitting rights to, to a general medical ward, so he came under us, but the psychiatrist would come and see him and um, say that, you know, uh, advise us to give some um, antipsychotics to calm him down. And, and so we basically just did the same thing that, that we'd done a previous admission uh, we'll just give him intravenous haloperidol um, for his situational life crisis and various other things that were going on. And um, and then later on that day, I got asked to come back and see him by one of the nurses, and he was, like, rigid. His temperature was, like, 41 degrees Celsius. It was covered in sweat. And um, uh, back in those days, they didn't have, like, a code blue team, but we just called the ICU team to come mm. look at him, and, and, you know, he was a bit hypoxic and he ended up getting intubated and <clears throat> he developed rhabdomyolysis and died Gee. despite all the sort of aggressive calling and treatment in the ICU so that was pretty scary so, and he had neuroleptic malignant syndrome from the haloperidol so that's the only time I've ever seen it it was a fairly dramatic case yeah I, I, yeah. I spent some time as an intern in the psychiatry unit at uh, Fremantle Hospital Yeah, and it was uh, mentioned with every patient who was being yes. started on um, antipsychotic medications and every patient who was being um, changed from one antipsychotic medication to another 
Yep. Uh, there, there was always great care or great attention paid to the, um, the, the, the introduction or the changeover of medications and close attention to try and um, identify this problem should yes. it occur. Yeah, and I think from the reading I, that I did um, leading up to today was that uh, some of the newer antipsychotic medications, you know, the reason they brought them in was they were trying to increase the safety of um, the antipsychotic drugs that are used uh, in clinical practice. And I, but they still, even the newer ones like, I'm just trying to think, quetiapine and risperidone and clozapine and things, which are the newer ones, I think. They can still cause Alanzapine, yeah, that's right. Those are the ones that we see prescribed. A lot. A lot. Um, Mm. They can still do it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, we still use classic antipsychotic drugs as antiemetics and things, don't we? We do. Droperidol. Droperidol, haloperidol. Yes. Um, We use use them in pretty small doses. Yeah, I'm not sure in small doses they can trigger the syndrome. Mm. But just... You know, just throwing it out there that they are still used, those these medications. Chlorpromazine was one of the ones we used to use. Yes. Risperdal Consta we used to use in um, <coughs> in the north. And they used to give um, Depo sort of one monthly mm. flupenthixol, which is a bit like thyridazine or one of those long-acting. Yes. Remember, but those are all the traditional ones as well. They used to cause it. Yes. Generally, the more potent the, uh, the agent, it's thought the more likely it may occur yeah and i presume it's dose related too so mm. yeah i was reading there's potentially a bit of a um, genetic predisposition to it yep. um and thought to be a little bit like the genetic predisposition towards malignant hypothermia yeah so um our patient who had um that i described who had it when i was an intern did get given dentrolene in icu yes uh, and called and all that sort of stuff but I, can re- I can't remember what the CK went up to. It was a um, really, really mm-hmm. high number. There was lots of zeros after it. And his kidney stopped working and, you know, he got really, yeah, got really sick, obviously. Yes. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so what are, so, so dantrolene is a... Should we briefly mention what malignant hypothermia is? We've mentioned it a few times, haven't we? Just for the listeners. So I don't think we should go into it in as much detail, though, because it probably deserves its own podcast. Yes. But malignant hypothermia is a similar sort of syndrome. It basically is triggered by volatile anaesthetic drugs and succimethonium, which is a muscle relaxant that we give in theatre, but not to every patient. So not all patients, when they have an anaesthetic, get given succimethonium or even volatile anaesthetic drugs. But there is some people out there with genetic predisposition to malignant hypothermia because they have abnormal um, skeletal muscle receptors which um, can be triggered by the by these drugs to release excessive amounts of calcium into their skeletal muscle which causes like a hy- mass- massive sort of hypothermic it causes mass muscles response. to contract yeah and not relax yeah, and so then damage rigid. to those muscle fibers and they get they just chew through the ATP and make a lot of heat don't they? yes yeah and so then they get rhabdomyolysis and which damages the kidneys and they get hypothermia and then the cells release their products, yeah, so including it's a similar, electrolytes. Yeah, that's right, hyper, hyperkalemia. And, mm. So it's a sort and of similar syndrome. They consume a lot of oxygen and produce a lot of CO2. Yeah, so a similar syndrome. Mm. You know, um, it's a drug-related sort of you know, hypothermic syndrome, Yes, like the other two we've talked about. Um, and dantrolene is a drug that antagonises the, um, the calcium release. Is that right? I'm going to have to look that up. I should know because we're anaesthetic doctors. <laughs> <laughs> I do Tiva all the time. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I avoid sucks whenever I can. I do. 
I do spinals. I work in a women's hospital. I remember having an appendectomy <laughs> when I was age nine and yeah. uh, afterwards just aching all over my muscles and thinking, why do I feel like this? And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> yeah, the saxomethonium. Yeah, definitely. I would have thought so. It took me about two weeks to walk properly again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> we're, we're laughing. Um, mm. Bromocryptine, that's a dopamine... Uh, yeah, oh, that's a, um, that's used in dop- uh, dopamine. That's the homework for you, listeners. Go away and look that up. Oh, <laughs> we should know. Anyway, it's written down somewhere. I must have been taking notes. Okay, I think that's probably all we need to go. We're we're up to thirty-two minutes now, so that's that's enough time. People are going to reach the end of their sure. journey. Shall I mention a couple of the medicines we might use? Yeah, okay. That could cause neuroleptic malignant syndrome. So, domperidone. That's a medicine sometimes used in antiemetic or pro can pro. Yep. Um, kinetic medicine, stroperidol, metoclopramide, yep. stematil, prochlorperazine, or promethazine. Yep. All of those drugs are usually used as antiemetics that yep. have been associated with neuroleptic malignant syndrome. Yep. They're usually used in smallest doses. I've definitely given people dystonic reactions with almost all of those, mm. uh, but I don't think I've ever triggered neuroleptic malignant syndrome. No. The guy that I was telling you about, we gave him 10 milligrams of IV haloperidol. So that's. Usually we give sort of 0.5 to 1 uh, milligram as an antiemetic dose, so that's about 10 times more, wasn't it? <coughs> but I guess there might be some people out there who are very sensitive, or they get given lots of repeated doses. And, of course, it can prolong your QT syndrome. Uh, your pre- QT interval. Yes. <laughs> and that can, be, that can be dangerous in itself. <laughs> that's right, yes. Mm. We mm. should do a podcast about that, Graham. <laughs> I think we have. <laughs> All right, so uh, summary... Drugs are bad. Mm-hmm. Mixing your drugs <laughs> Taking is lots. really bad. Being hypothermic, rigid, or hyperreflexic, tachycardic, and hypertensive after having some of these drugs is bad. Yeah, and uh, hopefully um, somebody identifies that uh, medications can cause problems. Yeah, just and as other biological processes. But also, can cause trouble in real life. Someone doesn't. You don't get called to review someone with serotonin syndrome or. Neuroleptic malignant syndrome, you just get to see an undifferentiated patient. And don't forget, it could be any of those other serious things, especially don't want to miss uh, some sort of serious sepsis syndrome. Uh, all right, should we call it quits? I can't believe we spoke for 33 minutes and 58 seconds on <laughs> yeah. those two topics. Yeah, neither, neither can I. I don't know what the <laughs> hell I was talking about. All right. Thanks, Graham. Thanks, Hi. Roger. Good luck at the grand final. Who are you going uh, for? I'm going to go for the Melbourne. You go, do you support them or are you just like picking some? I'm, I'm picking them because the person who gave me the access to the tickets supports them. <laughs> Mick. Yeah. Here you go, Mick. Mick. So next, I'm sure the next time we record a podcast, we'll be able to either sort of, you know, mm. congratulate you or um, remonstrate with I, you I, for I could, your loss. I could describe features of the game. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks. Hopefully, Graham. no head injuries <laughs> or pneumothoraces. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. listening everyone please go to the itunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it write a review this will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the itunes menu if you're also interested please go to our website at www.opsandgynecritcare.org where there'll be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to see you again next time